If you would, go ahead and flip your Bibles open to Luke 24. Just kind of put your finger in there, pull it up on your phone, whatever it is that you do. Um, but I'm so thankful that everyone here with me today was able to come uh, to Redeemer Fellowship Church to, wor to worship with us because it's very interesting that God um, has a people that were once in rebellion to Him that He then saves and restores and redeems. Um, and then we get to come together and we sing praises to Him. That we get to read the Scriptures with one another that we get to confess sin with one another, that we get to then hear the good words of our sin is uh, forgiven, that we are pardoned uh, because of Christ's righteousness, which is then also gifted to us. That is the truth in the gospel. We are gifted Christ's righteousness. We then get to sit under the preaching of God's word, or this week I get to preach God's word to y'all, uh, and then we finish up sermon by taking to the Lord's Supper. And we do this every week here at Redeemer Fellowship Church because this is our conviction, uh, that God has laid these things out and the scriptures have laid these things out for God's people. So, once again, good morning. It's good to be with y'all. Uh, we're not going to waste any time. Uh, we're going to get right into it. And I want to first start with a brief recap of what Denton preached last week. So last week, uh, didn't preach through the two disciples who were on their way to Emmaus from Jerusalem. Um, and the reason why we're doing this is because it really just fluidly flows right into what we're doing. Uh, we're in Luke 24. This is the last chapter of Luke. We've been in Luke for, I don't know how long, for a while. Uh, we have been able to send another pastor away to another ministry. We have ordained another elder here at Redeemer Fellowship Church. And we have just seen God's faithfulness through the entire book of Luke. And we are thankful uh, for his grace in that. Uh, so last week, we got to see the two disciples of Jesus making their way to a village called Emmaus, just a little bit outside of Jerusalem. Some people say it's about seven miles. Uh, and these two disciples were having a conversation concerning the things that had just taken place, uh, specifically uh, the crucifixion and the burial of Jesus, the one that they were involved in ministry with. And in the middle of their discussion, Jesus slides into the scene and interjects himself into the conversation. Now, during this time, too, what the scriptures show us is that God had actually basically put a veil over their eyes where they couldn't really see that it was Jesus. They didn't recognize Jesus as who he was. Um, and so Jesus asked them, what are y'all talking about? Knowing full well what they were talking about, to which didn't point it out a bit of the irony in this conversation that they have here. He says, what are y'all talking about? And the two disciples respond to Jesus, uh, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? Speaking and asking this question to the very person who does, in fact, know fully and most fully uh, what has, in fact, happened in these past three days. So Jesus entertaining them, or perhaps entertaining himself, uh, ask what things? Once again, knowing full well and perfectly more than anyone what, in fact, had happened. The disciples then told Jesus about his death. They told Jesus about the crucifixion of himself. They told Jesus about his burial. 
And they expressed that their hope was that Jesus was the one who would redeem Israel. They then told Jesus about the experience uh, that some of the women had had whenever they went to the tomb of Jesus, where they don't find Jesus. Instead, they have a vision from an angel, and the angel communicates to them saying that Jesus is risen. Jesus is alive. And in response, uh, Jesus began to unpack the Old Testament and how the Old Testament is fulfilled in Jesus. It would be the Scriptures to them, not the Old Testament to them, but Jesus is unpacking the Scriptures. I don't know what Scriptures, as Denton said, we don't know what Scriptures He actually pointed to, but He was showing that they were fulfilled in Christ, in the Messiah, in the One who was crucified. So they have this conversation. They sit down. Jesus breaks bread. And when he breaks bread, the eyes of the disciples were opened and they recognized him. The disciples looked at each other and said, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Which brings us to our scripture passage this morning. So once again, we're going to start in Luke 24 if you're not there. Get there, I would encourage you, or read the verses on the screen if we have them up there. Uh, but it's going to be 24, and we're going to read verses 33 through 43. So verse 33. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, those who were with them, gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet, and while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. So if you would please bow your heads and pray with me. Father, we thank you for the risen Christ. Jesus, we thank you for your submission to the Father, even to the point of death. God, we thank you for the power that we see in the resurrection. Send your spirit to illuminate your scriptures. Reveal to us the wonderful and glorious truth of the resurrected Savior. Let us marvel together at the power that we see in the salvation of sinners. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as we see, we are picking up exactly where we left off. Exactly where we left off. These two disciples 
after Jesus had vanished from their sight, hightail it back to Jerusalem, which, like I said, is a seven-mile journey. And I like to imagine that these two individuals are in an absolute dead sprint back to Jerusalem, and each one of them are that running partner that I can't stand. Meanwhile, like I'm having an asthma attack just trying to keep up. I like to imagine that that is uh, the running partner they are because they knew what they just saw. They knew that they had just saw Jesus resurrected. They knew that, okay, we were walking with him. He taught us these things in the scriptures. He, he was showing us the fulfillment in Christ. And then we see it. It is revealed to us fully. We see it, the resurrected Christ. And so, as we'll see in this passage today, they were probably in this state of, this is too good to be true type thing. And so they're trying to like verify and validate, okay, did you, did you, did you hear this? Did you hear him say this? You did, okay. Did you, did you see this? Okay, you did. Um, did you see his mannerisms? If he's anything like me, he moved his hands a lot. Did you see his mannerisms whenever he talked to us? It was truly him. And it was probably a run where it kind of just stuck, stuck in time. You just stood still in time because they were looking forward to the destination that they needed to make it to, to return to the 11, to let the 11 know that the good news of the resurrected Savior. But they were also stuck in the experience that they just had with the risen Savior. Probably felt like forever, the longest seven-mile run. I don't recommend, I don't recommend seven-mile runs, but you do what you want to do. Uh, but it was probably this moment where time just stood still, but they finished their run, they find the 11 and all who were with them. And while gasping for air, they exclaimed, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. This is another set of people who have had interactions with the knowledge of the, the Savior has risen. It's another sighting, another conversation with the risen Savior. And so when they arrive there, we don't, we don't really know what happens in that conversation explicitly. Like, so we don't know, like, are, they, are the 11 and the others, are they just like dead quiet and, and like shock? That's probably what I would be. Or are they asking questions? Like, what are they doing? Um, but we, we, we don't see that, but what we do see is they are unpacking and recalling for them everything that Jesus had taught them from the scriptures. So they're telling them, like I've already said, he said this together. They're, they're completing each other's sentences. He said this. He showed us this in the scriptures. He spoke like this. He did his hands like this, just like he used to do whenever he would teach us, whenever he was alive. And he, he, he spoke kindly to us. He spoke gently to us. He was loving to us. And he didn't even mention that we turned away and abandoned him. Didn't even come up. Verse 36. And as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. 
It's not recorded in this gospel, but I think it's, it's, it's helpful to bring up the fact in the, in the gospel of John, John records it this way, that the doors themselves were locked in fear of the Jews. And the reason why that's helpful in understanding this is because Jesus just appears. The doors were locked. He didn't come through the window. He didn't come through another entrance. Would defeat the whole purpose of locking a door if you leave the other door unlocked. But he didn't do that. He just appeared to them. And it's interesting because in these passages, what we're getting is, is we're getting a glimpse of what our resurrected bodies will look like and what they'll be able to do. So before we, before we actually dive into that, I want to I like preface with something. Before we dive into like what we will have in our resurrected bodies, what they'll look like, what they'll be able to do, we have to answer the question of how can we know that the resurrected body for us, for those who have faith in Christ, how can we know that those things are true? It's said in the scriptures, but how can we know? And it is, the answer is because Jesus has purchased these bodies for you. That's how we know this to be true. The resurrection, and the reason why I say purchased, because it was purchased on the cross. And there's two things that you cannot separate in Christianity. You can't separate the cross from the resurrection. And you can't separate the resurrection from the cross. Because... The cross is not the cross without the resurrection. The resurrection is not the resurrection without the cross. They have to go together or Christianity doesn't exist. And no cross, no salvation. No resurrection, no salvation. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that if that is the case, then we are of all people to be pitied. I'm going to read that. 1 Corinthians 15, 16 through 19. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. The cross of Jesus is what accomplished our salvation. The salvation of sinners and the resurrection validates that it was sufficient. That what he did on the cross was sufficient. That it worked. We have to understand that the resurrection is factual. It actually happened. We have to, re- we have to recognize that it is historical. It actually happened. It was an actual event. It wasn't, I, th- I think whenever I was going through and studying some of this, It wasn't that the apostles desired that Jesus be raised from the dead so much that it then became an actual fact in their minds. No, it actually happened. The man was crucified, died, was buried, and then that man rose from the dead. And that's important because it is what guarantees our resurrection. If Christ didn't raise, we will not raise. But Christ did raise. So we have to lay that groundwork. Fact. So to switch back, we're going to look at some of the glimpses that Scripture gives us in regards to the resurrection, specifically here in Luke 24. But something that we, 
something that we can round up and see in the scriptures is that there was nothing super special about the way Jesus looked. There, there was nothing super special about the way Jesus looked when he appeared to his disciples. And the reason why this is so important is because I do think, at least I've been guilty of this, we almost alienate the resurrection in a sense. We lose the fact that it was a human body and it was just raised from the dead. We almost created something so totally separate that, if it's, that it's not human. And I think oftentimes when we consider our own resurrection and our resurrected bodies, uh, we could think up some pretty crazy stuff. Your mind and your thoughts and your feelings can think up some pretty crazy things if they're not submitted to the Word of God. So I'll share something with you. Whenever I first became a Christian, uh, I thought my resurrected body would be me, like me, my personality, except I was like yoked, like jacked, like huge pecs, huge biceps, triceps, legs, because I'm not skipping leg day, like all of these things that I would just be jacked. But that is not what we see with the resurrected Savior. We don't see that. That's not what we see in the resurrected body of Christ. What we do see, though, is that Jesus' resurrected body, still being human, has just taken on what John MacArthur refers to as the highest form of the human body. Because it still is, in fact, a human body. And he says in this passage today, for a spirit does not have flesh and bone. Because that's what they confused him with. They confused him as a spirit. But what else? I mean, what else there is explicit here in Luke 24? Uh, what things do the scriptures give us to help us have an idea of what the resurrected body will be like? So we just read, Jesus appeared to them. I don't know any other, I'm not like a huge science guy, but like all I can think of is teleport. That, that's, that's short of what the actual truth is. I understand that. But like Jesus literally just appeared. Just appeared to them. The resurrected body will not travel from place to place as we do now. I think that we will walk. I think that we still will do those things. We'll run, skip, but it won't be bound and it won't be limited in its transportation through the things that are material. We see, we see that here. In preparing for this, though, one of the, one of the individuals brought up how um, people are buried, mainly here in America. And it was very interesting and also very comforting at the same time. In America, we dig a hole, okay? We put a dead body in a casket. We shut that casket. We lower that casket into the ground. We put a concrete slab on top of it. We cover that with the earth. Kind of pat it down, then the earth kind of settles it down as well, and you're underground. What good would a resurrected body be if it had to wait around for someone to come and dig it up? Be no good. The resurrected body will be able to go place to place, and I can't really explain it more past that. Through material things, what I don't know exactly what that looks like. Defying the whole scientific realm, I'm not sure. But that's not the case of our resurrected bodies. They will be like the risen Christ. So Jesus appears and says to them, Peace to you, and startles the disciples because they thought they saw a ghost, thought they saw a spirit. Now verse 38, and he said to them, 
why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? The eleven had already heard the testimony from other people. Then they heard it from the two gentlemen who came back from Emmaus. Now they're hearing it and seeing it from the horse's mouth, Jesus himself. But it's interesting because it shows right here that they were still full of doubt. So just remember with me really quick too in the crucifixion. Jesus was crucified. Jesus suffered the most gruesome death that you could suffer, but now appears. Every single one of his disciples abandoned him. Every one of them left him. Peter even denied him three times. And I'm trying to paint a picture here, and this is going to serve as probably a poor example, but it's going to, I think it will serve us well. We all have done something, said something, intentional, not intentional, whatever. To someone, if you are married or if you have kids, you've done this. You have said something and done something to someone that you feel absolutely awful about. And you kind of you, you might even feel it in your bones or be uncomfortable and have this tension when you're around that individual and even feel a little sick in your stomach. If you haven't felt it, you will. Um, it's awful. This is the disciples right now. But it's not only that feeling, it's also the feeling of doubt in their hearts. Like if this is the Christ, like, gosh, we were awful. How does Jesus respond to them? He responds with grace and gentleness, and he meets them in their doubts. Verse 39, see my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. He builds up and restores his disciples. Who, had, who once had scattered, he's building them up now and restoring them. And notice with me how before, before all this, He's not like, this is everything you did. Here's all your shame. Here you go. He doesn't lump up a bunch of shame and then place it on someone. And to be honest with you, I really think that we are probably guilty of that. We are probably guilty. I know that I, know that I am guilty. Um, let me point out all your wrongs so that you can be fixed. And that is so far from the truth. Uh, and that is so far from what... Jesus offers, and so we shouldn't offer that. Jesus right here had plenty of bad things that he could have said to his disciples who were unfaithful disciples. He chose rather to communicate in a way that would build their faith 
in the risen Savior. He didn't choose shame. He didn't point out their sin. He didn't point out their doubts. He didn't point any of that out. He said, look to the risen Savior. That's what he gives them. See my hands and my feet. What we see there is interesting because we see that Jesus still visibly bears the marks of his sufferings. See the holes in my hands. See my feet. Jesus' body, although resurrected, still bears the marks from when he was nailed to the cross. And he is saying, look at these marks. They are real. I was, in fact, crucified. But look now, death cannot hold me. Death cannot hold me. I did, in fact, die, but I died to save a people, and I rose to save a people. I have, in fact, risen from the dead. And he goes on to build their confidence. Touch me and see. Don't just hear what I'm saying. Don't just see. Come and touch and feel for yourself. There, there is something about touching that validates, that, that makes things real. And it even pairs still once again with verse 39. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. They would not have been able to touch him if he were spirit. But he was not. He was flesh and bone. He was man risen from the dead. Jesus builds up his disciples by showing them his wounds. His marks of suffering that he willingly took on their behalf and on the behalf of anyone who would have faith and put their trust in him. But he's also showing that death could not keep me. I have been raised from dead and I have made, made into newness of life. I'm a new life. So, in, in seeing this, something that we have to talk about because, once again, I've had a lot of confusions on the scriptures as I've like, matured in Christ. You probably have too. But like, I just didn't understand this well. I, I did not understand the resurrected body well. I would always um, you know, think of my past before I was a Christian or something like that, or even the things that I was doing whenever I was a Christian. And I would completely be like, I cannot wait to just like not even remember those things. I cannot wait to just be so separated from those things that I just don't even know, know about them. I don't think that that's the case. We see that Jesus bears the marks of his sufferings. Our resurrected bodies will bear the marks of the sufferings that we have in this life. but we will be renewed and restored. We will not relate to our sufferings in the way we do now because of this restoration, because of this renewal. It's just like, it's just like when you put a candle into a dark space or a light into a dark space. That dark space then shows all of its detail. You can see it. You can make out the space. We will have a restored and fully revealed revelation of these things. And so we will not relate to them the same way. Like you would relate to a dark space without light. We will be able to see fully. 
when we are restored and when we see our sufferings and the sufferings of others and are restored in new light, we will not relate to them how we do now. Some of us suffer things that are physical. There's sickness, there's different handicaps, there's diseases. Uh, the list literally goes on and on. And if you don't suffer them, someone in your family suffers from them. The resurrected body will not forget these things, but view them in their restored state. For some, the sufferings are mental, like anxiety or depression. You will not be oblivious that you struggled with anxiety or depression. But you will relate to them in light of them being restored. Verse 41, And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. The disciples disbelieved for joy and were marveling. Every single person, whether old, and the, the older people didn't word it this way, but it meant the same thing, or new. Every person that I read on this, and I would agree, refers to this as the already, or um, I'm sorry, as the too good to be true. The disciples were in the thought process of this is too good to be true. And the news of the resurrection does, in fact, create a feeling of too good to be true. But that feeling has to be submitted to the Word of God because the resurrection, once again, is, in fact, true. If you leave it at, this is too good to be true, then you leave it at, well, then it's not real. Just like most things in life. If you ever had the people call, hey, would you like a cruise for $100? My, my daughters got an email one time, and they were like, there's this cruise that we can go on for 50 bucks or something like that. I don't remember exactly what it was, but I'm like, too good to be true. And it was. <laughs> but if you stop there with the resurrection of Christ, you don't have faith. Submit that thought. Submit that feeling of too good to be true. And here's the thing. There can be worship and marveling in the wonderful thing. of This is too good to be true. This is so much grace. But it's fact. And it's rooted in God's word. He has told us this. It's, it's interesting because he... Jesus, once again, patient, pa being patient with them, says to them, Have you anything to eat? I think that is... It's just the most patient, and I, I, don't, I don't even know, it's gentle and simple way to communicate. Because this action of eating broiled fish communicates spirits do not eat food. It was once again, he's validating. I am risen. I have risen. I have risen. Do you have any fish? I have risen. Spirits do not eat food. Spirits do not drink, drink. You could not have even handed this fish to Jesus if he was in fact spirit. Even just like the mere process of like, 
didn't go through his hand. Now he's eating it. He's just showing them, I have risen. So what does a passage like this do for us, do for God's people? It should boost your faith in the risen Christ. And one of the most important things that we see in here is that it should boost our faith that our salvation is fully accomplished apart from us. That it does not rely on us. I mean, we see explicitly the faithfulness of God to his very unfaithful disciples who abandoned him at the time of need. That is the type of faithfulness God shows us in salvation. So listen, because I need to hear this all the time. So listen, focus in. Your salvation, your standing before God, your justification, all of salvation does not rely on anything that you could do or anything that you could bring to the table. It does not rely on you. But it relies solely on the faithfulness of Jesus Christ on your behalf. Rest. So often we get just so piled up with these things that we put on ourselves. We put burdens on ourselves. Even things that are good. Read your Bible. You should read your Bible. You should pray. But like, your adoption record doesn't get canceled if you don't. You've been adopted. You've been justified. In Christ, solely, not your work. We have to rest in the finished work of our Savior. This passage should also give us comfort that He has already purchased for us in Christ the resurrected body. This is something that is factual now. It's not something that becomes factual whenever he decides to execute the resurrection for us. It's, not what it, it's now. It's purchased now. That body. And that can give us hope. That can give us something to look forward to because we know it's already purchased. Christ bought it for all who would have faith in him and he promises it. And as we see always through scriptures, he keeps his promises. And lastly, we are people who identify with the world knowing that it will be restored. Identifying with the world in light of the restoration and of renewal. So go on and live this way. I don't, I mean, I can, I could practically lay out ways that this looks for you just come up and Come up and talk to me afterwards, and we'll talk about practical ways that this actually looks in your life, in, in your workspace. In your workspace, you're at your work sometimes more than you're at home with your family. If you are not practically living out the gospel there, come talk to us. Let us give you words of encouragement of how you can do that. How can you be shedding the light of the gospel? How can you be shedding the light of this renewal, this truth in your space of work, in your private life? At your home, with your family. We should be a people who aim to restore relationships. I have one at work right now that 
I've been just a little hard-headed about. But I know how Christ has restored my relationship in God because of Jesus Christ. And I should submit that feeling and that frustration to that, knowing that, and show this guy love so that I can show him the love that Jesus shows me. That speaks also super explicitly to your kids and your, your wife or your spouse at home. Don't let those things, don't, those little arguments that literally mean nothing that you'll forget about next week, just aim to restore that relationship. Reconcile with one another. Don't linger on it. We should be a people who aim to restore brokenness in society. We should aim to be a people who help others restore their houses. That's super practical. Help restore a vehicle. Help restore a yard. Because even those things are a picture of the restoration that we have coming for us. They're small, but they're still communicating that truth. But here's the thing, too. Something you can't miss, and I think something that, like, that is sad that is being missed now is that it, with restoring uh, brokenness in society and all of these things, the gospel is forefront in that. The gospel is forefront because at the end of the day, if you make someone's life better just because it's better now because something's done, it doesn't matter if their eternity is separation from God. It does not matter. So not just to make someone's life better, but to communicate the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. We were once a people who were broken, and in many ways, we still are. But we are restored. We are being restored. And we will fully be restored because of Christ's death, as we've talked about, because of his burial as we've talked about, because of his resurrection, as we have talked about, and because of his ascension, all on our behalf. Come back next week and hear the ascension. If you would, pray with me.